Hello everyone, welcome to the Maitri show Between Friends. In this show, we will be talking about different issues related to intimate partner violence, family violence and abuse, gender-based violence and power dynamics in relationships. The goal of our show is to engage our community members in addressing and challenging those harmful social and cultural conditions norms that make intimate partner violence, family violence and abuse and other gender-based violence acceptable. We believe our show Between Friends will mobilize our community in ending victim blaming and preventing violence and abuse in partner and familial relationships. In each episode, we will be providing insights and resources that will not only help victims and survivors, but also educate our community members about these issues these resources and uh, that are available in the community so that they can help someone in need. Tune in every Saturday from 3 to 4 p.m. on Radio Zindagi to listen to the Maitri show Between Friends. You can also find all episodes of Maitri's Between Friends on our website, Maitri Bay Area Facebook page and on SoundCloud. Don't miss our show. You can email your suggestions and feedback to us at maitri at maitri.org. M-A-I-T-R-I. Together, we can end domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and gender-based violence. At today's episode, I am your host, Nandini Ray, and I'll be talking to Dr. Zakia Afrin. Zakia is an advocate for immigrant women of color who suffer abuse. She manages Maitri's helpline, peer counseling, immigration assistance, and legal advocacy programs. She is a senior fellow and adjunct professor of international law at Golden Gate University in San Francisco. An enthusiast of arts and culture, Zakia founded Auditya, a platform to showcase societal issues through Bangla poems, songs, and literature in multiple formats. Welcome, Zakia. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Nandini. Um, I'm so um, happy that we are doing this um, show on legal issues because I, I know I understand that this can be a very complicated issue when people are going through domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and especially if they are immigrants and when they are here a thousand miles away from their family members, their friends, and they go through these kind of issues, then they feel like, oh my God, what do I do now? I don't know anything about this um, system, about this country. It is possible that they don't know anything. And I'm glad that we are doing this show to give them some resources, some information, so that uh, it can help if they or their loved ones are going through this kind of, um, you know, unfortunate situation. For the listeners who have just tuned in, you are listening to the Maitri show Between Friends. And at this show, we will be discussing legal issues that survivors of domestic violence, especially survivors from marginalized communities face. When someone is going through familial violence, partner violence and abuse, seeking out legal help or understanding even legal system can be very difficult. Prolonged difficult, you know, legal battles can turn into an abuse of their own. 
So getting right attorneys, having right kind of legal guidance, accurate understanding of individual's rights and options can have a huge impact on each case. So in this episode, we want to focus on legal matters, information and resources that can help in reducing the occurrence of domestic violence or the repetition of the abuse or violent incident. Um, so we have uh, here with us uh, Zakia, and I'm glad that we will be discussing uh, legal issues, Maitri's legal program, how Maitri is helping our community and community members. And I'm sure, Zakia, you will share some tips uh, for community members, how they can support survivors of domestic violence, navigating the you know very complex uh, court system. Uh, so let's talk about, you know, your journey. Um, how long have you been with Maitri? Or you, you tell us anything you want to share about your journey with Maitri. Thank you, Nandini. My journey with Maitri is almost as long as Maitri's legal program. So I first joined Maitri in 2006 as a helpline advocate for mm-hmm. a few months. And that's when we actually launched our legal program. I joined the legal program as a full-time employee in 2008. And since then, I have been with my three in different roles. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, probably our listeners would like to hear what is actually legal advocacy. Can you be a little bit specific? What is legal advocacy and how does my three support individuals seeking legal help? So first, I want to start from a few numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year, from January to November, we so far helped 292 individuals at our legal advocacy program. Now, the legal advocacy program has three different hats. One is direct legal services. One is immigration assistance. And then we also have policy advocacy. Now, people who reach out to us, they actually reach out for many different reasons. It could be something as simple as where can I file my case or this is happening with me, what are my options? And then as complex as I have lost custody of my children, I'm in the system of the Department of Family of Children Services, going through their complexities and how can my tree help? So it's many, many layers of legal needs that people can have and they can reach out to my tree. Now, when we started out, we were mostly providing referrals to attorneys, court accompaniments to different appointments, and of course, being a support person in general, providing emotional support. Even though the legal program talks about legal issues, we are at the very basic level domestic violence advocate. So being a supportive person is one of the main roles that we do at Maitri. Now, After so many years, the legal program today can provide many other additional services. We can help people in-house with their document preparation. We can help people in-house with some of the attorneys that are uh, working very closely with us. We can take on, you know, a lot of complex situations and try to be with our clients throughout the process that we were not able to do before. And you can say whatever the need is, either we can help them or we can find them some resources that they can get help with. 
when you talked about uh, court accompaniment, what do you mean by that? How do you help uh, people or our clients, uh, survivors of domestic violence uh, with court accompaniment? So court accompaniments basically mean when someone files any case uh, in, in a superior court for their family law case, they will have to go before the judge and sometimes they will have to present whatever evidence they have sometimes they will have to just show up so that the case can be scheduled so going to courthouse can feel intimidating because there is a security check post there is police standing at the entrance of the courthouse and the sheer uh, feeling that you are standing before this authority who has such enormous power in over your private life so I think that can be pretty intimidating, overwhelming for a lot of our clients. Also, because many new immigrants don't have any family members to support them through this process, and they may not want to reach out to friends in the fear that friends will know too much about their private lives that they don't they don't feel comfortable sharing. Mm. So that's where we come in. We have uh, dedicated volunteers and staff members who can sit with a survivor that's going through the court process throughout when the court is happening, and they can also take notes because people are overwhelmed with emotions or just stressed out they're probably not even listening carefully what the what is happening in the room what the judge is saying so a support person together with providing emotional support can also after the court hearing is over can explain to the client what just happened and what would be the next steps this is just a little bit of more help that uh, we are able to provide thank you for sharing uh, what is court accompaniment so zakia what brings client to Maitri? Why does an individual reach out to Maitri? What do you think? So in California, we are actually very fortunate because there are a lot of services available for survivors of domestic violence, human trafficking, and all types of uh, injustice that happens. Now, in that uh, category, Maitri is actually a very unique service provider. Because we are in the Bay Area, the only culturally responsive uh, organization providing services to South Asian immigrants, mostly. And then, of course, our services are open for anybody, but we specialize in working with South Asian survivors. Also, our staff and volunteers speak a lot of languages in-house. Now, we know that language access is the law, so any organization will be asked to provide uh, the language that a survivor calls to and wants to speak in, but it's really uh, an added benefit that Maitri has this support available almost any time when somebody calls. For example, our helpline can be answered in Telugu, Tamil, Kannada, Bengali, Hindi, Marathi, and Punjabi. So I think that is definitely something that sets us apart from other organizations. The cultural responsive part, I want to say a little more. It's not just the food people eat, the clothes people wear. That's the very popular definition of culture, right? But it's also the belief system and the experiences that people have come from. Understanding that, understanding those very... Uh, detailed nuances of people's lives and how someone would respond to domestic violence happening, how one person may interact with the justice systems in general, let's say police, for example, how a survivor will interact with the criminal justice system. 
most of the times depend on their experiences in their home countries mm-hmm. now all of these cultural challenges and habits experiences we have some experience with and i think that is one of the reasons that uh, many many survivors from the south asian community first think of maitri and this is not just unique to the community members this is actually recognized by most of the county services because we get people calling us who received our number from a judge from an attorney from the police from different justice systems from the D- department of family and children services previously known as cps so uh, especially in santa clara county there is a name if an agency or the justice system receives any survivor provide service to a survivor and that survivor has either a language need or a very cultural specific need that they must be addressed more often than not will be sending to maitri you know this is um, i would like to add here that uh, this is the reason i think maitri was formed there was a need in the community for a place where south asian people who are going through domestic violence family violence they could call in so that they can talk to someone in their own languages and if they they can uh, they know that oh someone is uh, picking up phone and that person will understand my language my cultural upbringing my cultural conditioning uh, and it will be easier for me to talk to that person about my abuse from that understanding maitri was formed almost 29 years back in 1991 um, as a bridge between mainstream agencies that were there to provide uh, help uh, services for domestic violence survivors and uh, south asian community for our listeners i would like to add that if anyone is suffering from domestic violence and want to reach out to maitri uh, to find out about their options their rights the services we provide they can speak in south asian languages uh, maitri provides language access to south asian victims and survivors uh, maitri staff and volunteers uh, speak different south asian languages collectively we speak bengali gujarati hindi malayalam marathi marwari punjabi tamil telugu and urdu amongst others you can call maitri uh, if you want to discuss your case with us you can call maitri helpline at 18888 maitri m a i t r i on a weekday any time between 9 to 3 pm and other times and on weekends please leave your voice message with a safe phone number and a time so that we can call you back zakia you um, you know manage maitri helpline program maitri legal advocacy program and uh, you and your team are helping a lot of people who are going through domestic violence and when you are helping them what kind of unique challenges you see that south asian survivors they are facing in interacting with court system uh, for example can court system be complex for monolingual survivors and if that is the case then how does maitri help monolingual survivors anything you want to talk about challenges case you want to discuss uh, we are we are here to listen so before um, talking about the monolingual survivors who have their own set of challenges uh, i just wanted to touch on few other things now uh, one of the things is when somebody immigrate 
to a new country and mo- many of our callers are actually new immigrants and that may mean that they don't have a support system they may not know anybody to reach out when they need help that may also mean that they don't have any information about where they can get help whether they are eligible to get help one of the tools that abusers use is to tell the person in their control that nobody will help you because you are an immigrant you don't have the right kind of visa you are not a citizen here so nobody is coming to help you so that kind of misinformation uh, is definitely a big challenge and a barrier for anyone to reach out for help then take the fact that it's a very different legal system in many parts of south asia getting a divorce or a legal separation is a very very difficult job <laughs> you have to have one or more qualifying reasons to actually separate a family the reason being that the state and the community and larger uh, extended family takes a lot of interest in a marriage union right it's not just two people getting married it's almost like uh, two families coming together two communities coming together so the state is also actively involved in keeping the status quo that mm. families are not broken down but here let's look at california it's a no fault divorce state meaning one person just doesn't want to stay with the other partner and they have a right to get a divorce and that's actually true for most of the states in the united states right now and that is a huge difference from uh, where the immigrants of south asia are coming from and that can be a traumatic event for many itself the act that someone can get a divorce without specifying a reason why this marriage is not working that can throw a lot of people off you know i want to add here i know someone country that person is coming from in that country is no no fault divorce so didn't know anything about it and she thought that if i don't answer if i don't do anything then uh, probably i will not get divorced so this kind of understanding can be very problematic can be very dangerous right so when people don't understand the legal issues legal um, inform they don't have legal information example that this uh, this uh, divorce like if i don't know that um, is a no fault divorce is happening in every state or even in california then i may not answer i may not do anything and i may, may think that oh everything will be fine so how do you think that people should know about this thing and how they can know how can they know about this thing I think um, Nandini there is no you know magic pill to know all of these things when someone chooses to immigrate to a different country it's almost signing on to the laws of course you have to abide by the laws of that country where you are going and another point i want to mention that in south asia and i can talk for bangladesh for sh- sure where i am from religion plays a role in family law systems right how divorce is happening how inheritance will happen mm-hmm. in all of these south asian countries religion is very much present when you are talking about a family separation a child custody and inheritance but it's very different here it's not a religion based system so that's why what people expect may happen most of the times don't happen mm-hmm. so that really creates additional challenges for them 
And if they are survivors of domestic violence, then it's an added trauma uh, to the whole experience. Now, I can give another example of misinformation or just the different expectations that people have when they're coming from different countries. The police, right? In a lot of us, many of us actually feel that police is going to be an intermediary when two people are fighting, right? And be it a domestic dispute, be it something on the street. But here, police is not playing that role in intermediary, right? The police is not going to come and threaten the other person to, hey, you better behave or else something Mm -hmm. will happen. Especially if we take the example of Santa Clara County, Police will make an arrest when somebody calls for domestic abuse. That's in their protocol. And many people may call the police without knowing that. And when the arrest happens, it's really, really very, very uh, challenging situation for them because they didn't want to take that additional step without knowing what effect it may have in their marital status. Uh, If the other partner is going to be so mad that they are going to now go through the separation or divorce process? Or is it going to have any effect on their immigration that's still in the process? They may not be a permanent resident or a citizen. So a lot of these kind of challenges we see that our survivors face. And that's why we at Maitri, we continuously build our capacity to address this. So we have our immigration program. That's where we you know, thought of having an immigration program that can tell people about their rights beforehand, what rights they have as just somebody living here, right? Anybody can call the police. Uh, You don't have to be a citizen. You don't have to have documentation to ask to be safe. However, the next steps, how much you want to get involved with the system, at that time you may want to consider what is your immigration Is there any risk to you? And that's why we do a lot of know your rights kind of presentations. We do one-on-one sessions with our survivors, our clients, people who call us about their immigration status-related questions. And we are getting better at facing all of these questions that are coming from our survivors. What about the monolingual clients? How do you help them? Yes, so let's, let's get back to that. Now, currently... Language access is the law. What I mean by that is if someone is calling any agency that is getting any federal funding, they have to provide an interpreter in whatever language the caller is asking for. And there are so many language lines that actually provide the service. However, it's one thing to have a law and another thing to have the implementation. So if we take a court scenario, We see a lot of times that the court hearing will actually be rescheduled because an interpreter was not found. And uh, it's really important to remember that in California, we have more than 250 different languages. And some languages are not as spoken as the others. So there are some languages which are spoken by a very small group of people. And it's very possible that there are no qualified or available interpreters when a person need. Uh, So that's kind of a continuous challenge. And how we get involved in this is we try to provide interpretations for our clients in unofficial settings, but we usually do not do court interpretations uh, because it comes with a lot of other factors. But we actively try and find 
court interpreters when a client needs it for the court purposes and the court systems have nobody to uh, help them. So at those times, we try to find out if there are other avenues for uh, interpreters. And also we observe a court hearing and sometimes we share our feedback with the uh, systems that, hey, this interpretation uh, was not really what we expected, what the client expected. She was not satisfied. And we try to bring in that conversation in whatever forum we are in, that language access needs to be addressed and people should be given uh, the, the right to have an interpreter. And not just that, they need to be uh, provided with adequate interpretation, not just kind of like a tick mark mm. that, yes, they, this person was provided interpretation. I think court system here, they need continuous training how to be culturally responsive. Because if, uh, for example, if someone needs a Hindi interpreter, a Hindi uh, speaking interpreter and um, and getting a Gujarati uh, speaking interpreter, that can you know put a huge burden on the case. That can uh, that can be very problematic for that case. So, do you know any case where you know someone asked for some inter uh, language and uh, got something else? I have many, many stories. I don't know how much time we have, but uh, I'll give you one of the most common examples. You know, uh, India is a big country, right? And uh, Hindi is very well spoken almost everywhere. So I was looking at a statistics that about 40% of Indian population can understand or converse in Hindi. Now, what about the other 60%? They may not actually be able to have a conversation in Hindi, may not even have the basic understanding uh, of Hindi. However, if you uh, look at, if you just look at the court website and see the interpreters available for any of the any of the other languages, let's say you put in uh, looking for Gujarati, looking for Marathi, you will see that people have signed up for at least four or five languages. Mm. Now, one of the problems with this is that there are no certification process for certain languages. Now, certification is only available in very, very much spoken languages. For example, Vietnamese, Spanish, um, I believe Arabic, Punjabi, these are certified. Yeah. But then the rest of them are registered. That means you go and you say that I am able to do interpretation in these languages. And you, uh, of course, there are exams and you have to show the English fluency. But then what about the other language that you are putting in? So that fluency, there is no checks and balances. So that can become challenging. And we have uh, had multiple situations when the interpreter has asked the person who requested interpreters that mm. uh, you must be understanding Hindi. Let's just do it in Hindi. You know, why bother doing the other language that you are asking for. And we had to bring it to the attention of the court specialist and that uh, system that was uh, taken care of. So this is a challenge. I am not sure how, what would it take to address this? Because like I said, there are so many languages and probably having everything certified is a very time consuming and lot of funding related process. But there needs to be a middle way where this extreme doesn't happen that people can just sign up for whatever they want to and then there is no accountability for for this kind of acts wow a lot of information i'm sure that people are who are listening this show um they will use this information uh, and knowledge um, to help someone in need 
For the listeners who have just tuned in, we are uh, talking about legal issues, legal information, um, local legal um, information and resources uh, with Zakia Afrin um, at our Maitri show, um, Between Friends. Uh, when someone is going through familial violence, partner violence, and uh, seeking out legal help is not easy. And they go through, um, already they are going through trauma, and then uh, finding uh, right attorneys, having right kind of information um, is very important to help their case. So we are discussing this uh, segment, uh, legal issue in this segment, uh, so that we can um, help someone in need. अगर आप या कोई और जिसे आप जानते हैं जो घरेलू और डोमेस्टिक वायलेंस से गुजर रहे हैं कृपया मैत्री से संपर्क करें मैत्री की सेवाएं बिल्कुल मुफ्त और विश्वासनीय हैं हमारी सेवाएं हिंदी पंजाबी मराठी गुजराती और अन्य दक्षिण एशियाई भाषाओं में उपलब्ध हैं यू कैन कॉल अस मंडे टू फ्राइडे 9 टू 3 पीएम Welcome back listeners to our Maitri show Between Friends and we are talking about legal issues today. So Zakia, I have another question and I think that is very important question for me um, and I, I hope it will help many people out there that how does immigration status uh, affect an individual's access and interaction with courts? So that's actually a very timely question, Nandini, because with the current administration, we are seeing a lot of new regulations coming up almost every month or every week uh, that kind of sending, um, you know, a wave of fear among the immigrant communities and people are rethinking what they should be doing, what they should not be doing, whether they should steer clear of police altogether and all of that. So I will I will share what I... Uh, what we usually tell our uh, survivors when they're calling us about these issues, that if you want to be safe, the police has a duty to respond to every call without checking what is your immigration status, right? They, do, they are not supposed to be discriminating based on who is a citizen and who is an undocumented person, who is in the middle. If someone needs safety and it's a life-threatening situation happening, Calling 911 is always the best option. And what happens after that, what steps to take afterwards, you can think about it when you are safe and you can think clearly. But if it is and uh, something is happening uh, that's threatening your life, then that is not the moment to actually think about immigration or anything like that. Now, having said that, we do have a lot of clients that are in between situation. They may be on a dependent visa, so they don't know whether calling the police would eventually lead them to lose their status, either by divorce or by uh, the person who is causing the situation, leaving the country or however. But losing uh, an immigration status in the U.S. can mean many things for many people. They may have come from even unsafer situation, so they don't want to leave. They may feel that I have found some freedom here, so I don't want to uh, leave this country. Some people may feel that Children are U.S. Born citizens, here. Yeah. born here. So if one of the parents is an immigrant, they obviously don't want to leave their children here yeah. uh, and go back to their country, no matter what the immigration status. So the always, if there is a question, always consult an immigration attorney before 
thinking about what can be done because there are the violence against women's act that came into being in the 1994 i believe this is the 25th year mm. that uh, advocates around the us is celebrating we are celebrating the 25th year of the violence against women's act it has created few provisions for specifically for domestic violence victims to give them legal status in this country however it will not apply to every single person right every person's situation is unique so don't just go from a little bit of information and decide that yes i will do this so i it's safe for me to do this no i would say go for a consultation there are a lot of free consultations available lot of non-profit agencies in the bay area that can help somebody decide on their immigration safety plan and uh, as per our agency when we start working with a survivor we take their whole picture what's happening in terms of their abusive situation what's happening in their immigration situation and what is happening with their finances right so we look at the whole picture and then we ask questions so that they can answer for themselves and decide what would be a right course of action for them to take to leave this uh, abusive situation so nowadays the very important things to remember about immigration is that know your rights look up where there is always a free presentation happening in many parts of the bay area learn about your rights what you can or cannot do and how you can be safe how to interact with police if you have any doubt about your immigration status find out from an immigration attorney before you do anything yeah i think uh, anyone can call maitri if they want any information legal information um and they can find out by talking to our uh, staff member or volunteers um about uh, whatever question they have uh, but i would also want you to share that if you can share some free legal resources that are available in the community many people may not know about those resources and would you please yeah sure uh, so all the court websites have very very good information about how a divorce process happens how a restraining order or a safety planning can be done all of these superior courts of california website have this step by step and nowadays uh, you can access it in a couple of different languages as well so that's a good place to go for your information and then i must mention womenslaw.org that's a non-profit uh, organization that has uh, this uh, they have all the different states of the united states all the information about divorce custody and other related matters to domestic violence uh, in very very simple way uh people can go there understand for themselves however not to take it as advice that's just the information same like what we do because we don't have any in-house attorneys mm-hmm. every day answering questions when time comes for that we connect people for with the attorneys but what we provide mostly is uh general information if you are looking for advice then both in santa clara and in alameda county and i'm sure in uh, other counties as well in the bay area there are family justice centers where you can find all of these justice system partners at the same place so you have you have an attorney talking about how to do restraining order how to do your custody you have an attorney who will talk to you about immigration options you have a domestic violence advocate who can talk to you about 
uh, how to support yourself. You may also be connected with mental health services, uh, economic empowerment, and all of that. So the family justice centers are a very good place for anyone who just wants to get information, not sure about anything. Just go. These places are confidential. So uh, none of them can share any information about you. So are we. Somebody calling us, we are also very strict about the confidentiality requirements. So that is another reason for you to look out for domestic violence organizations because all of us are bound by confidentiality from the uh, government regulations. So we don't, we do not share any of your personal information with anybody, even when your family members are thinking, okay, maybe she's calling or he's calling this organization, let me find out. It cannot happen. So just trust, go to family justice centers, go to any of the uh, domestic violence agencies that are providing services in your area and find out more about where you can get free or low-cost services. Um, I will also mention uh, that there are a lot of free and low-cost services for immigration uh, assistance as well. The USCIS website has a list by cities where you can find free or low-cost immigration services assistance and also in a lot of non-profits in general in all of the cities have free know your rights presentation, free citizenship clinics happening, free walk-in services where you can just go and ask them about your questions. Um, if you are driving and couldn't take down all the information Zakia just uh, shared, then you can do one thing. Please remember Family Justice Center in Santa Clara County and in Alameda County. You can Google search about them to get their number or you can call Maitri Helpline if you need any legal information. And if you have any legal question, our number is one eight 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 maitri M-A-I-T-R-I or you can go to our website www.maitri.org um, Zakia, you raised a couple of good questions and good you know, thoughts in my mind that when you were um, sharing the, this information, how to uh, get help, how to find a good attorney. So it is not easy to find an experienced, responsible and a compassionate attorney, trustworthy attorney. And can you uh, give us, can give uh, community members uh, some tips, uh, some suggestion, how uh, to find a trustworthy uh, attorney? So, Nandini, I think this is one area that people are uh, not very happy with. A lot of the people we talk about, talk to, will have one or the other uh, thing to say about mm. their attorneys. But they, nobody can actually guarantee that how you can find a good attorney. People have to be really, really very careful when they start working with one. So I will share what we tell our clients when they are trying to hire an attorney. We say that you should at least talk to two or three before you decide on some person. And you need to know that an attorney must be respectful to you, no matter how knowledgeable or how many experienced um, years they have in their resume, uh, an attorney has to be respectful to the client. So mm -hmm. that's a very important thing to remember. We hear some clients will say, oh, my attorney was almost yelling at me and telling me you don't understand this, you don't understand that. No, if somebody is behaving like that, you do not need to work with that person. So you see in the interaction whether the attorney is being respectful 
to you and keeping in mind that this this is your case this is your life so you should be making the decisions and not the other way around yes the attorney may feel that what you are deciding is not really going to happen and they can feel f- free to share that opinion with you that i'm sorry this is not going to happen what you're asking for or this is not a good idea or it's not in your best interest whatever that may be but the final decision is yours so you can tell them and you know hear from them what is their legal opinion legally if it is not possible then your opinion wouldn't really matter mm-hmm. but if you have decided on something which is not not a legal matter but your preference your preference is your preference right so just kind of understanding but i will also tell what we also tell our clients that do not argue the law with a lawyer right some yeah. sometimes people will read something and they feel they actually know when they actually may not know they may not know the context they may not know that that will not apply in their situation so you have to be able to trust your attorney once you feel that you're not able to trust your attorney every time attorney is saying something and you have to go behind that person's back and ask around that's not a good relationship that is not going to work and that will not really get anything that in your best interest right so working with your attorney i think first is the relationship has to be mutually respectful and the decision understanding that the decision the client needs to make the factual decision and the legal points have to come from the attorney whether it's possible or not and understanding that this is not a non-profit most attorneys will charge you and in the agreement that when you sign with your attorney just read it thoroughly and understand that every call may be charged and that's okay and every email may be charged right so attorneys have a very high legal and ethical responsibility they will lose their license if they go outside of their ethics regulations so do not mistrust an attorney just because you feel that they're charging you more you know mm-hmm. go through the bill go through the agreement and see what is happening there are always avenues to take your dispute and conflict resolution that is also included in the attorney agreement and many times what we see is that when we are in a rush to hire an attorney to go mm. to court we will agree to almost everything even a lot of people don't even read their own agreement and a good attorney never really promises any outcome because you don't know what the other party has so th- what they can promise you is that they will try their best to get what is in your best interest that is all if somebody is promising you the moon and the sun then that is not a not good a good attorney yes and you know sometimes people uh, when they are traumatized they may not pay attention that if, uh, if uh, whatever the contract you are talking about and they may call attorney for a simple simple things to understand or uh, for a simple thing to understand or may email attorney without knowing that uh, they will be charged right mm-hmm. so that is very important for them to go through the contract go through the understanding the uh, best understanding uh, about the uh, about the working with the situation with the attorney so so we are almost out of time and i though i really don't want to um, end this discussion but before we wrap up um, our show zakia i really want uh, you to talk about a couple of red f- uh, flags that um, people can uh, see when they in their relationship and they can understand uh, if they are going through any abuse or um, violence in their uh, relationship 
Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, we recognize that when somebody is calling Maitri, that call comes after a, a long struggle with that person and her uh, inner self, right? Because nobody wants to call and chat about their private lives. We recognize that when someone is calling, they have reached that point that they cannot solve this issue themselves or it's just going out of out of hand. Now, I feel that um, in the community and also when we talk among our uh, staff members at different uh, times, we see that there, you know, many of these things can be prevented. Things that actually bring out the abusive characteristics of uh, both of these parties, right? Both people cannot uh, stay in a healthy relationship. Now, you mentioned red flags. So I will just mention three things you said. One of the things is when somebody is in a relationship or when someone is trying to get into a matrimonial bond, just understanding who is the partner, right? How is that partner? If it is, uh, I'm, I'm talking about uh, a woman because, you know, 85% of domestic violence survivors are women. So that I'm coming from that point. Mm. And so when people are getting married, they need to see how the partners are talking about women in general. If the person you are going to marry is very fine with you, respectful, loves you, showers you with gifts, but whenever that person is making a comment about another woman, it's not respectful. It's something derogatory about it, right? That should be a red flag because in general, in that situation, there can be a gender insensitivity in that person that not respecting women for their roles or just in general not respecting women. That is a big red flag for abusive relationships. And then uh, number two, I will say, if you are getting into a relationship or going to marry somebody, find out about their previous relationship. Has there been a previous marriage? Just ask outright, why did it not work? How did it end? Did it end in good terms or was there any kind of abusive relationship? If you, for any reason, feel that the other party is trying to hide something, in the United States, divorces and uh, divorces actually and family law matters are public records, right? So if somebody has a divorce and you actually suspect that the person is not telling you the truth, you can find out if that person has had any divorce. Uh, there are avenues to do that. Number three, what I will say, lot of websites, right? Wedding, matrimonial ads and all of this people uh, that uh, want to get married through the websites, getting to know each other, even the families and all of it. How much actually you know about this person? We have seen many, many of the cases coming out the, of this kind of website-based relationship while parties are not really going deep to learn about each other where it's basically becoming a very uh, on-the-top type of relationship. So just understanding the person uh, before getting into marriage and talking about issues that matter. What will happen after marriage? Is this going to be a joint family situation or are they going to be living on their own? What does the other partner feel about having children? What does the other partner feel about working? a working parent or both parties are working, how do people feel about that, right? Uh, the girl who is getting married, is she continue going to continue her work or continue her studies? These are very, very important things. And many times in the rush and the glamour of wedding 
we forget about these important issues. We don't talk about it. And when it's all done, then these are the issues that people actually get into arguments about and that can lead to a, a very abusive uh, situation. So I would say that, you know, just be mindful getting into a relationship and uh, try your best. It's it's not always foolproof. You can pretend you're only 50%, right? In a uh, marriage, you are the 50%. The other 50% is not in your control. But what you can control is how you will allow that other 50% to affect your life in a good way or in a negative way. Yeah, and uh, balance or abuse starts from power and control. It is important to, you know, look out, watch out that if that person is uh, trying to control you, uh, trying to have mm-hmm. power over you, uh, exerting power over you. So that is, um, um, I think that's also important. And uh, today we are almost end of the show. And uh, so I'm very helpful that together uh, we can end domestic violence, intimate partner violence and gender-based violence. Keep listening our shows. Um, we will be uh, here every Saturday, 3 to 4 p.m. And uh, thank you for listening our show. 